0: Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis, and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Adam Miller, and joining me today is the man Rangers fans cut. Co- no, can't read that. Uh, give me a second, I'll scroll. Do- no, can't read that either. Oh, never even heard that word before. Oh, that is a very detailed drawing, but I'm not sure it's anatomically realistic, though. No, can't can't read any of them. It is, of course, Johnny McFarlane. How are you doing, Johnny? I thought you were going to say Jackie McNamara there. <laughs> well, that's that's implied in anything we do. But. Uh, so, on the pod today, we are going to kick things off with Partick Thistle, where it's all kicking off at the moment. And uh, Gary Caldwell has a message that he wants his players to heed. We hear from our intrepid reporter, Gabby Mackay, as he follows Kilmarnock on their Euro- uh, Europa League adventure. And all four Scottish teams won their European fixtures this week, so we ask, is our game on the up? So, we're going to start things off at Partick Thistle. It's all change at Fir Hill, where David Beattie has replaced Jackie Lowe as chairman, and a number of changes have been made in terms of the club's directors, with suggestions that there's potential new investment in the club on the cards. It's an interesting time at Fir Hill. Johnny, you spoke to JAG's boss Gary Caldwell about his preparations for the upcoming season for a Football Scotland piece. What did he let you in on?
1: Well, it was actually fascinating. Um, The idea behind the piece was to take an in-depth look at what an elite um, Scottish football club is doing to prepare for the season, um, how much preparation goes into it, etc., etc., And uh, Gary was kind enough to go into the, the full detail of all the things that um, they're doing at Thistle to ensure that they have a much better start to the, the campaign and a much better campaign full stop than they did last year. Um, I think um, the main thing is uh, you want to build a level of fitness in the players for the campaign ahead so they are robust for what will be a, a long and uh, and hard and gruelling season physically in the championship um, but at the same time, avoid any unnecessary injuries. I think Gary was keen to point out that if someone goes all over on their ankle or there's a, a robust challenge in training, there's not an awful lot you can do if a player gets injured like that. But there's the kind of muscle injuries that, that, that can come about through fatigue and from overtraining that they're really keen to avoid. Basically, that's what he would describe as controllable injuries. Mm-hmm. And they're they're very keen to make sure they have a clean bill of health on that front. Um, One of the things that he talked about was that uh, Patrick Thistle are actually using the tactical periodisation model, which will get a lot of people groaning and going straight to sleep.
0: It first sort of came into public... Yeah, tell us more about the tactical (laughs) periodisation model, please, Johnny.
1: First came to my attention when Pedro Kishina came to um, Scotland. Obviously, people will know it from prior to that with Josie Mourinho, but but in terms of Scottish football, that's when it came to prominence. Um, It's a methodology... Uh, first developed by a guy called Victor Frade, a Portuguese academic in the University of Porto. Highly detailed. I did a piece on it trying to get my head around it and honestly, it took me hours and hours and hours just to get a vague concept of what what was involved in Mm -hmm. tactical periodisation. But for me, it's interesting that I call Blake Park Thistle on the Championship are going to that level of preparation to make sure they get ahead. It shows you the the professionalism now at playing Scottish football, that people are trying to use elite standards. And, um, well, Gary doesn't go into the full detail of tactical periodisation. He was pointing out in the interview, he said, you know, it can take people years at at university to understand the full aspects of this methodology, this football training methodology. I think it can be applied to other sports as well. Um, But he's... Picked up bits and bobs from uh, Roberto Martinez, who used it and uh, integrated that into what he has developed as his. Is this that Wigan? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was previously at Wigan, yeah. um, and he's sort of put that into what he's uh, decided that um, he wants to put his players through. So, uh, fascinating uh, discussion and 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 lots to digest. So, so have a look at that on the website. Yeah, I mean,
0: how important do you think it is to get a good pre-season under your belt in the in the scheme of the entire season?
1: I think it's massively important because you're building up that ability to deal with the rigours of the season. There's two schools of thoughts uh, in terms of training and pre-season. One is to build up a really, really good physical level that, that will then take you through that whole season and that's what the traditional Scottish method you know getting them running up and down sand dunes running the legs off them really really getting a good core of physical fitness and there's the other um, these the other method methodology that is you don't put them through too much you just get them ticking over and uh, but I think from what I've read I think uh, the vast majority of sports scientists now or certainly the ones that I've spoken to tend towards the, the giving you that level of robustness that allows you to Bounce back if you get an injury or you get a knock or or if you're going through a period where there's a lot of games. Um, I, I think you always hear managers talking about the importance of a pre-season. So you get players like, for example, Borna Barisic, who came in uh, to Rangers, I think, maybe I think August or something like that, he mm-hmm. signed. And it was the fact that he hadn't had that pre-season with the club You you don't immediately settle into what the manager wants You don't have that same base level of fitness that everyone else has Perhaps you don't have that level of robustness Mm -hmm. that your teammates have So
0: it's difficult to sink So you're missing out not just on necessarily the the physical sharpness, but you're also missing out on the sort of tactical drills that will have been, uh, you know, the the tactical insights that will have been instilled into you during that pre-season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, Gary, one of the things he talked about, I think, was interesting. He said, you know, everyone thinks about pre-season as just being about fitness and about tactics, but also it's about building an identity. It's Mm -hmm. about building a camaraderie. And um, that's as important... An aspect as the fitness it's getting mm. those guys all together. You might have, as part of this, will have seven new sign ins that you want yeah. to bed in. You might have lost a lot of players as well, so the dressing room can be some, something of a flux. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Kenny Miller's coming in, um, and part and you imagine he'd be a, a major figure for them in terms of setting standards for the younger players in the dressing room and and, and laying down a marker for the rest of his colleagues mm-hmm. as to what is expected at the, the highest level because Kenny's been there and done it.
0: Yeah. Well, you took the words out of my mouth, actually. I was going to ask you what you th- what role you think Kenny Miller will play in that dressing room. On the pitch, we're obviously talking about a guy who's coming towards the end of his career mm. and uh, has already got experience in uh, in the coaching side of it. But do you think, uh, with, with Kenny Miller, do you think he's still got plenty to offer on the pitch?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I do. I think he scored seven or eight goals from Dundee last year, and Dundee were... <laughs> Really struggling Mm -hmm. Really struggling Adam Uh, Whenever I watched Dundee They were abysmal Mm -hmm. Uh, From the team organisation I couldn't see really what Jim McIntyre was trying to get them to do Beyond be a sort of doghead low block They were just literally nothing They had nothing as a team Mm -hmm. And um, he did get a lot of players in um, But Kenny Miller still managed to score a few goals In that situation And what I think has always been incredibly impressive about, about Miller is when he came back to Rangers age 36 in the championship season, people thought, well, it will be a good signing because it's the championship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But actually, he, he spent that year in the championship. He didn't have a great year for Rangers, but the following seasons, he was terrific. Yeah, And his physical condition was no different than it was when he was a young player. In f- mm-hmm. fact, arguably, he was in better physical condition. There's very few players that, at 38, 39 you go, they're in the same They've got the same body shape as they did when they were a kid. Yeah. But Kenny is like that. Um, he's, he's a bit of a freak almost of nature in that sense. And while he's not as quick as he was, he was lightning quick when he was younger. He's still fast. Yeah. Um, so I think I think he could provide 15 goals for, for Thistle easily this year. And I know there's a lot being made about his impact in the dressing room at his time in Dundee and his time um, before that um, at Livingston obviously didn't, didn't go brilliantly either. But For me, I'd take a Kenny Miller in your dressing room any day of the week. A guy who demands high standards, who won't accept second best from his colleagues. Um, That might be challenging for some of the people around him. But I think for a football club, it helps to have someone who's got that sort of old school mentality in there as well. Mm -hmm. As long as you can control it and work with them.
0: Yeah. Okay, so moving on to Kilmarnock. With 15 minutes remaining in Rill last night, it looked like a disappointing evening for Kilmarnock as a Greg taylor own goal gave Connors Key Nomads the lead. Hope was restored eight minutes from time thanks to an Eamon Brophy penalty and a dramatic stoppage time winner from Stuart Findlay meant it was a successful night for Kelly. Our own man, Gabby Mackay, was in attendance and we can hear from him now.
1: OK, Gabby, we're going to look back on the game last night. You were
0: down in Rill.
1: First of all, before we actually talk about the football... Was real as bad as people say?
2: Uh, it was all right. Uh, yesterday it was uh, well, It was raining. Uh, didn't didn't see a huge amount of it. Only only the pub and the stadium. But it was full of uh, full of fans yesterday. It was sort of a uh, mini Ayrshire takeover, which uh, can be as desirable as you as you, as you uh, as you as you want. Uh, a lot of so museum sure.
1: visits, um, perhaps some yeah, cultural yeah, museum, tours.
2: Yeah, museum visits. Lot 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 of cultural stuff. You know, taking taking in the opera and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, the game itself, Gaby, What was the what was the nick of the stadium? Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit ramshackle. It's a bit like a Scottish junior stadium. To be honest, I think it only holds one thousand five hundred or something uh, without without the standing section, which you're not allowed in UEFA competition. So it was a bit it was a bit ramshackle. I think it was probably about eighty percent Kelly fans. Uh, even ones who had tickets for the home end, I think the stewards were just kind of going, ah, just do what you want." So it wasn't. Uh, uh yes it wasn't really what you think of when you think of sort of top level european football but uh it was uh, you know it was it was sort of a quaint sort of charming in its own sort of ramshackle way
1: and the game itself it was your first chance to have a look at angelo alessio's
2: Kilmarnock, were you impressed uh well not particularly i think much like much like rangers and much like celtic the had a lot of the ball, a lot of the pressure, but struggled to really create any big chances, actually, until Konitzki scored, which seemed to sort of kick them into life. And then that last 15 minutes, it was all and obviously had the, the last-minute goal, which uh, sparked some some absolute scenes in, well, i say about 80% of the ground.
1: Yeah. Before we t- touch on the actual goals themselves, Gaby, could you see any evidence of a change in style, perhaps? Obviously, Steve Clark had a very set style of play, are we looking at um, Angelo Alessio coming in and perhaps uh, messing with that formula?
2: No, it was, quite, it was quite similar, I think he's looking to go for more of a possession based game, I think uh, that's certainly what the indications were from the pre-season matches and from yesterday, obviously it's difficult to tell because you're playing uh, basically a part-time Welsh team, so you'd expect uh, Kelly to have all the ball in any case, you know, you could, it's not like you know, if you're playing Rangers or Celtic, play under Clark, where you'd sort of sit in a low block and hit on the break, you're obviously not going to do that against a, a part time Welsh team. But I think he's definitely going for a more possession oriented approach.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, obviously, 75 minutes into the game, you see that Kelly were struggling to break them down. Connor's key score.
2: I know, yeah, and it was a bit of a it was a bit of a disaster. The, um, as I said, the the stadium was mostly Kelly fans, so it was sort of a it all went quite silent. I think everybody was kind of in party mood before that, and then when that goal went in, it just absolutely sent everything flat. Uh, I haven't seen any replays; it was hard, kind of hard to tell what happened. I think maybe Broadfoot got got caught out a little bit, uh, although people people may be able to tell better than me because I've only seen it once at the game. But yeah, it was a, it was a poor goal to lose, and I think it was probably their only shot on target as as far as I'm aware they didn't really offer much but as we saw in the Challenge Cup last season they're a sort of direct physical team and they obviously they they got that goal but as I said it did spark Kelly into life a little bit
1: yeah, there's normally always one disastrous European result, isn't there? And I looked at that last night as the, as the goal came in over Twitter and thought, here we go, here's our one absolute and total capitulation that always comes to bear. But, but you know, Kelly, they, they came back in. Brophy, I take it was a stonewall penalty?
2: Well, you would say it, it was at, a stonewall penalty. <laughs> it looked it to me, again, I haven't, I haven't seen a replay, but certainly we were, all, we were all very much shouting for it. It did look like it was a penalty to me. Uh, and Brophy, as he did in the last game of the season, he scored the penalty to get Kelly into Europe. So it was kind of fitting that he would be the one to score the equaliser from the penalty spot again yesterday. I mean, as as you say, there's always one disastrous result and it was very palpable. Everyone sort of looking at each other going, oh God, we're we're going to be the ones to let everyone down, you know? Yeah, uh, but
1: obviously you get that penalty, you're thinking to yourself, well, 1-1's not disastrous. You've got the away goal. We know we're going to take care of the, the slot at Rugby Park, but... You managed to go one better and get the the winner in the two minutes of added time.
2: Yeah, um, and again, Stuart Finlay, I think, is uh, he got a last minute winner from a corner against Celtic last season. He's got a bit of a, a happy habit of turning up with those last minute headers, and you could see what it meant to him. He saw, he was uh, he was running away, did a big sort of. Slide, and uh, I say it caused it caused some absolute scenes. In fact, um, in one of the the local pubs I saw this morning, there's a a video they posted of the the celebrations with people on tables and drinks flying. So it was certainly. It certainly, it certainly meant a lot. I think it was actually, um, in terms of of drama, being at a game, it was better than a comfortable win. You know, if you go and play and you win 3-0, then it's good, but it's maybe, it's maybe not as exciting, whereas to go one nil down and get a last-minute winner, it certainly sent sent everyone home in quite a buzzing mood, I think.
1: Yeah, and I'm assuming there was a lot of excitement amongst uh, a wide variety of, of age groups um, attending the game, because obviously you've got, as you've talked about on this podcast there's some people that will have been at that game that that are too young to have actually seen Kelly ever appear in Europe.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I was talking to a couple of people when this was that they'd come down for the game and they were 18. And so that was the last time Kelly were in Europe. So, you know, they're they're, they're old enough to drink, but they were, well, I think they were alive, but certainly not capable of uh, (laughs) taking in football when uh, when the last time happened. So obviously it meant a lot. There was a a really good mix of, of of age ranges, you know. There was there was guys like that, uh, and there was some older guys who are obviously are sort of veterans of Kaiser Slaughter and Stavanger and all that kind of stuff.
1: And uh, I take it you, you you feel this tie is done and dusted, Gabby. I mean, two one two away goals. It'd be difficult to see anything other than a comfortable Kilmarnock win at Rugby Park. Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Corner key. If they were to get back into the tie, they'd have to come out and play, which isn't really their style, and I think that would play into Kelly's hands. So I think you'll probably see in the second leg, it'll be very similar. They'll probably sit in and be defensive and physical and just try and get out there with some pride intact, really. I think, yeah, I think the tie's over. I can't see I can't see Conis Key coming to Rugby Park and scoring twice.
1: OK, Gaby Mackay, our uh, real correspondent, thank you for joining
0: me. No problem, thank you. So, Kelly weren't the only Scottish side to triumph in Europe last night. Aberdeen 1 2 1 against ROPS Rovaniemi at Pitodjula. easy for you to say. Oh, wait. Congratulations. There's there's, there's better to come. Um, I'm just sticking with ROPS. Uh, well, no, uh, that was uh, ROPS Rovaniemi. Um, you didn't get me on volleyball and golly and bombo. You're not going to get me on this one. And on Tuesday, Rangers beat St Joseph's 4 0 in Gibraltar a couple of hours before Celtic won 3 1 against FK Sarajevo in Bosnia. It's the first time since the year 2000 that four Scottish teams have won all their European fixtures in the same week. Johnny, I'll tell you the four Scottish teams who were in action 19 years ago and what the scores were. If you can name two, two or more of the four sides that Scottish teams beat, I'll work an hours overtime today. Okay. Right? So, I'll tell you the Scottish team and the score, and if you can shout out the name... Not only will I do the overtime, I'll be extremely impressed. So Rangers won 3 0 at Ibrox. Any idea?
1: 2000. 2000. Um, so we're talking. Oh, Dick Advocat in charge, 3 0 at Ibrox.
0: You've got the scorers? No. No. Mm, I don't know. That was Herfulga. Mm, Hearts won 3 0 at Tynecastle. No. Right. Well I've made my bed, I'm gonna have to lie in it and read this name. I believe this might be pronounced Eproda Bandalag Vistmanaya. Okay <laughs> It was, uh, see if I'd got that. Uh, yeah. I mean I would have worked three hours overtime for that, that e protobandalag Vestmanaya. That is that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna go with there. Um, a good result that, that you know what cast was. Well it's, I mean the, the people of Vestmanaya would have had to be disappointed there. Um, Aberdeen one nil away from one one nil away from home. Um, any idea of the team? Uh, I'm going to go for Skonto Riga. No, it was Bohemians. Right. Um, so you can get half an hour's overtime out of me if you get the team Celtic beat seven one at Celtic Park. Seven one, yeah, two thousand. Oh no. Okay, that was Eunice Ish. Right okay. So we had Herfulga Iprat, the bandelag Westmanaya Bohemians And Eunice Esch And I am leaving In time to watch Federer <laughs> <laughs> so, Um So On a slightly more serious note what does the fact That all four Scottish sides Won this week And the fact that It's the first time In 19 years For that to have happened What does that tell you About the state Of our game at the moment I think the game is on the
1: up Yeah You know Um You look at the financial situation at the clubs and the the turmoil that's been going on for the best part of a decade now, um, it seems to have cleared itself up. You have um, the City Club's resurgent. So we've had Hearts, Hibs, Rangers, uh, Dundee United, um, all in the Championship in recent years through various um, problems, whether it be financial or just general incompetence. Um, they're all back with the exception of Dundee United uh, I fully expect United to be back up next season uh, Seems to me the early signs are um, from Tannadice That the new owner Mark Ogren is really a guy who who knows what needs to be done there yeah. It's impressive signs coming out of that club So I think the for Scottish football to truly thrive It needs its city clubs to be strong Mm-hmm and I believe we're at a stage now where the City clubs are looking strong. Um, yeah. Hearts, Hibs, um Aberdeen, obviously have been strong throughout, Celtic, Rangers. Um, and I, I, I just think that that, that that is the core of our game and why we are now seeing a resurgence in Europe because those clubs have more fans, more ability to to reach into the coffers and sign better players. They're focusing more on, on youth products perhaps as well. So um, you've got better players coming through and players that can be sold on. You look at someone like uh, Scott McKenna at Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Um, and I think that's just meant the Scottish game is in a better place than it was 10 years ago when we were bringing in a lot of cheap foreign imports um, who were on decent wages that were that were swallowing up a lot of club funds. Youngsters weren't getting brought through, and that sort of cycle of bringing through a youngster, selling them on, putting the money back into the club, slow and steady progress, mm-hmm. was kind of replaced by this <laughs> sort of a venture capitalist ideology that yeah. was exemplified by David Murray. Um, most disastrously, um, I think the last vestiges of that seem to have disappeared and yep. we're in a much stronger place.
0: Well, we're seeing more positive headlines even in the last couple of weeks. The fact that Hibs have managed to clear their debts with this new investor as well. Um, there's rumours about Thistle bringing in new investment as well. Um, so yeah, it does seem like positive times at the moment. Yeah, and I, I think like
1: it's easy to look at the Scottish national team and say... The it's amount... never easy to look at the Scottish <laughs> national team. <laughs> the amount of time that's gone by since we qualified... Uh, reflects a a stagnation of Scottish football more generally. But part of that, I think, has actually been incompetence on a managerial level as opposed Mm -hmm. to the actual players that we have. I look at Scotland's squad now and think there's an awful lot of talent all through that team. And if we we aren't threatening to qualify, it's more about what we've uh, appointed in terms of managers over the Mm -hmm. last few years. I mean... I think Gordon Strachan had an up-and-down spell as Scotland manager. I think he should have done better overall. He's not yeah. terrible, but but I think Alex McLeish, clearly it didn't work. Mm-hmm. We've hopefully got a guy in, Steve Clark now that can take us where we want to go from an international standpoint. And I think that would have a big, big effect on the overall um, positivity surrounding Scottish football. That's the last sort of thing that's holding us back, that mm-hmm. we just haven 't had any success from an international st- standpoint, and, and I, I think that would do a lot for the the, the mental well being of the nation from a Scottish football point of view.
0: Well, I think the one big thing that Steve Clark will give Scotland at the very least in the short term is there 's always bar bar the most sort of hardcore tartan army members there 's a big collective sigh whenever international break is upon us. You know everyone gets so caught up in the club football. And then there's ten days of the international team, and more and often than not, there's some kind of disappointment. No matter uh, what happens longer term, I think there's going to be a degree of excitement around Steve Clark. Uh,
1: I, ho- I hope so, Adam. And you're absolutely true. And that's new. And younger people don't realise that. Um, you know, growing up, watching. I grew up watching. You know, Scotland play whenever I could. The first game that I think I can remember watching was a Scotland match and the excitement of World Cup Italia 90 Euro 96 World Cup 98 it was phenomenal but since then we've had a generation of fans that have just had nothing but despair with the exception of maybe that campaign in 2008 and the whole nation in that campaign united behind it and that's what it was like previously Mm -hmm. and I think if you're in your late 30s you can just about remember that but anyone who's under 30 no wonder they don't care about the national yeah. team. We've, the national team's never given them anything but pain mm-hmm. and hardship and a reflection of incompetence on a grand scale. So, so it's, it's honestly, it's definitely a thing amongst uh, uh, millennial the millennial generation who haven't had that success, um, the sweet to go with the bitter. And, 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 and listen, I hope we get that back because it would be great to give uh, that generation something to smile about when it comes to Scotland because they've had nothing but misery And and I think it'll have a a long-term effect because as the millennials get older and they're the ones that are supposed to be taking their kids to to Scotland games and saying, come on, son, we'll go to our first Scotland game. And I think it might be a challenge. It might be a challenge.
0: We need need to get moving quickly. Absolutely. So with the words nothing but misery ringing in (laughs) our ears, that's all from us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back on Monday before 4pm, just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website or our social media channels on Facebook and Twitter at Football underscore Scott. To ask a question or make a comment to us individually, you can get me on at OldFirmFacts1 and you can get Johnny on...
1: At Johnny R. but don't tweet me just now, I'm, I'm not feeling very well, so
0: just... Keep it till next week. You've given people more of an incentive <laughs> to tweet you, I feel. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.